bacteria, labyrinth hallway, night, day. Who knows? It's a labyrinth. Welcome to 10 Pages, the podcast that helps emerging screenwriters workshop their scripts. We're your hosts, Cameron Clark and Justin P. Bechtold. Thanks, Justin. Our guest writer today is Bucky Andrews. Hi, Bucky. Hello. Thanks for having me. Bucky is writing an animated children's series called Luna's Labyrinth. Sounds good. All right, let's jump into the first 10 pages, shall we? Interior, labyrinth, hallway. Night, day, who knows, it's a labyrinth. Twelve-year-old Luna, white blonde hair and a ponytail and yellow dress, carrying a giant battle hammer, and Ike, the 300-year-old ghost of an eight-year-old, blue with red hair, a hat with propeller and a backpack, walk slash float through the labyrinth as Ike sings, You're nobody till somebody loves you. Ike. You're nobody till somebody loves you. You're nobody till somebody cares. Ike spins, snaps his fingers and points at Luna, who giggles. A red torch, a skull with flames in it that lights the labyrinth, flares up his flame and faces them angrily. Red torch. Shut up! Luna raises her battle hammer and waves it at the torch. Keep being rude and I'll introduce you to Gertie. I'd like to see you try! Luna swings and connects hard, sending the torch flying into the distance a trail of flames following it. New record! Their laughter is interrupted by the sound of breaking glass. Uh-oh. A nearby orange Skeletorch starts to laugh maniacally. <laughs> You're in trouble! Eat hammer! Luna swings at the Skeletorch, who dodges by pulling itself into the wall. It reappears laughing, and Luna connects the second time, sending it sailing into the dark. <laughs> Remember me! Ike cups his hands and yells after it. I Luna and Ike both giggle. Oh no, Ike. We better go see where that Skeletorch broke. Luna and Ike run off into the distance. Exterior, Labone's Manor. The labyrinth's walls widen out, revealing a huge weatherboard manor with a skull-sized hole in one of the windows. Doesn't look like anyone's home. We should at least knock on the door and check. Come on. They walk up the porch stairs. As Luna goes to knock, the door opens on its own. Thank you, door. Ike giggles. Luna grabs Gertie and holds her tight looking around for signs of danger before stepping into the manor. Interior, Labone's Manor. It's incredibly dark. Shadows rise up from the floor. Hello? Anyone here? Yoo-hoo! It's empty, Ike. Let's go. Luna turns back to the door, but it slams shut. A creepy cackle cuts through the darkness and turns into a cough. <laughs> Excusez-moi. The cackle begins again. Candles scattered around the room light themselves, revealing that the shadows are piles and piles of clothes and wigs. Atop the stairs is a skeleton dressed like a 1700s French aristocrat. It's Labones. Who are you? Labones jumps onto the banister, slides down it. He lands gracefully in front of Luna and Ike. He looks angry. You must be the horrible person who sent this tacky torch through my window. Labones points accusatorially at Luna and pulls the red torch out from behind his back. It was her! Labones tosses the Skeletorch at the door, which opens, then closes once the Skeletorch is out. It was you, Jacques, your awful person. Now hold on just a minute. We're terribly sorry. It was an accident, Mr... Um, sorry, what's your name? I am not Mr. Little Ghost Boy. I am Labones. Labones? Oui, Labones. It was an accident? I'm Luna, and I'm very sorry about your window, but that skull was being very rude to Ike, so I hit him with Gertie. Luna holds Gertie up. Labones looks at it in awe. Alavache! You must be very strong. Perhaps you can help me, no? What kind of help? Labones whips out a comically huge map from behind his back. This is my treasure map. The map sparkles magically. 
like whistles, impressed. I have wanted to find this treasure for a long time, but I am no adventurer. I need someone with Zegerti who is muscly and brave. Labones leans in and grabs Luna's arm, making her flex and showing her little muscles. I'm not muscly. Well, I think perhaps you are more muscly than me, no? Labones rolls up his sleeve, flexing bones. Ike giggles. <laughs> it's the least I can do to make up for the window. If we help you, are we even? Are we? Even like Zestiven. But I must warn you, we must cross Blackwater River. Go through the snake tunnel and face the treasure's guardian. It will be very dangerous. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We face danger head on and bop it on the noggin. Luna swings Gertie wildly as Ike shadowboxes the air, grunting. Luna strikes a heroic pose, axe on shoulder, foot up on a chair, pointing forward. Labones looks elated. Let's go find your treasure. Woohoo! Exterior, labyrinth, hallway. Afternoon. Ike sings a song to the tune of Boogie Woogie Boogle Boy as Labones dances. Luna watches on laughing. He's the bony wony boogie skelly of Labyrinth. Labones does a fancy pirouette. A loud whooshing sound is heard from around the corner. Wait, stop. Do you hear that? Labones continues dancing. I do. It sounds like... Blackwater River. Labones, stop! Labones never stops a jig until it is finished. He continues to dance, steps around the corner and splash. Labones starts barreling downstream. Labones, grab the riverbank. Labones now looks like he's doing a synchronized swimming routine as he continues dancing in the water. He finishes. My dance is finished. Ah, I can't swim. He begins flailing his arms, sinking and resurfacing. Hold Gertie. Luna passes Gertie to Ike, holds her nose and cannonballs into the water. Ike holds up a ten sign and claps. You can do it. Luna swims fast, quickly catching Labones. Grab the edge. Luna pushes him to the bank. Labones grabs the edge and breathes a sigh of relief. But then his arms pop off, and he's swept away again. Luna follows. With one arm, she grabs the empty jacket arm, and with the other, she grabs... Gertie? Ike has followed them downriver. No, no, no! Not my coat! Luna hauls the drenched Labones onto the brick bank of the labyrinth. He's furious. You have stretched my coat! My favorite coat is ruined! Sacre bleu! Oh, gee, I'm sorry. Would you rather drown? Labone stamps back downstream to retrieve his arm. What a jerk. I know, but we promised we'd help. I guess. Thanks for saving us. Oh, don't thank me. Thank Gertie. Ike strikes a very lunaresque pose, holding Gertie up. Luna giggles. Interior, labyrinth, tunnel. Luna leads the way as Labones and Ike follow. Labones seems happy now that the way's lit up and he's resumed his silly dancing. Make sure you stay away from any of the holes in the wall. We don't want that Medusa snake coming back. Labones hears a hiss from a small tunnel. The Medusa snake stares out. Bonjour? Labones, get away from that! He walks closer. Luna dives forward, pushing Labones out of the way into mud as the Medusa snake whips out of the hole. No! My clothes! Ike taunts the snake, causing it to round on him and dive at him. But Ike makes himself invisible at the last second and the Medusa snake crashes into the wall, stunning it. Luna smacks the creature with her hammer axe, sending it flying out of the tunnel. Labone stamps toward her. Look at what you have done to my suit! It is ruined! You are about to be eaten, you bony jerk! Labone storms off down the tunnel. Ike sits next to Luna. This was a bad idea, Ike. Protecting Labones is a drag. But helping him is the right thing to do. Besides, there's treasure! I hope so. Ten pages. Terrific stuff. 
So, Bucky, tell us a little bit about yourself and about the project. I'm a former student of CAMS from RMIT. Uh, graduated last year, but I'm doing another year because writing for children was brought back as a course this year, and I thought it would be beneficial to stay in with that because it's something that I want to do full-time. I also completed placement at Viscatoons last year. Mm. Um, Cam, I believe you worked with Viscatoons in the past? On multiple projects. Yes. Yep. Fantastic. Completed a placement there. Peter asked me to come in on, on Thursdays, spend time writing there, which has been hugely helpful. Both Peter and his producer, Naomi, have been really great with, uh, you know, running ideas off of and getting feedback and things like that. And hopefully in the future, I'm looking to pitch Linda's Labyrinth to a few companies around Melbourne. Cool. See where it goes from there. Excellent. Mm. All right. Now, before we jump into workshopping this particular project, are there any areas in particular that you want to uh, you want us to focus on? Is there? I will just preface it by saying this was initially going to be the pilot, but because Le Bones is sort of a, an ancillary character, I thought it might not be the right thing to introduce him in the first episode uh, because it might set the wrong precedent for him being a character that's in it far more than he actually will be. So I am rewriting a new pilot and will continue to use this as an episode later on. In terms of areas for feedback, tone is something I'm, I'm really looking at, the humour, mm-hmm. and whether or not you guys can visualise it as well, mm. because it's a big thing. Sure. So. In terms of visualising it, there is another show that leaps to mind when I'm reading this, Adventure Time. Yes. Oh, thank you. Um, is, is that an inspiration for yep. you for this? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Uh, I really want to, I want this to appeal to a Cartoon Network audience. So Adventure Time was a big thing for me in that I want it to be something that has an overarching narrative over mm. the course of it, but laid out more in breadcrumbs as opposed to just a continuous story where everything keeps going along. So there'll be little things here and there that will po- point toward the end goal that will come up every now and again. But for the most part, it's more about the adventures they have and the fun they're having along the way. I'll just read out the synopsis. So it's a 12-year-old Luna and her ghost pal, Ike, travel through an enchanted labyrinth on a quest to get to the centre to receive the fabled One Wish. Along the way, they free the spirits of those who failed to make it to the centre, allowing them to leave the labyrinth while their quest is dangerous. They try and have as much fun as they can along the way. So that's kind of the bones of the of the show, right? Yeah, the the bones of it. <laughs> <laughs> the bones. Of yeah. It. <laughs> I'm I'm really digging Luna's vibe, kick butt warrior esque. Yeah. You know, kind of girl who seemingly shows no fear, but I kind of feel like that bravado has to be a mask for something. Like the Disney princess Moana, she's strong and brave and confident, but she knows nothing about sailing, you know, so it's all an act. Is there something that Luna is... Absolutely. So Luna, the reason why she's in the labyrinth and trying to find the one wish is because her grandfather passed away. So it's not something that I'm going to reveal early on. It's something that I'll reveal over the course of it. I do have an idea where I'd like to try and incorporate the five stages of grief throughout different episodes and things like that as well, because obviously being a teenager or being a young adult, she has you know anger issues which come out. I'm sure you guys noticed in the script. Obviously, she gets very frustrated with the bones and things like that. So that's something that you know, her emotions and, and things like that are a big thing for it. So while, yeah, she's really brave and she wants to do the right thing, at the same time, she gets frustrated easily. Mm. She has a temper. You know, she's, she's human. She's, she's flawed, but in the best way. So That's great, yeah. Because uh, I think it's important, and this is stuff that you and I have talked about previously, I think well, we all have, how important it is to make sure that characters have some kind of inner contradiction going on 
um, on the one hand they're this, but on the other hand they're that. So clearly you've thought this through. Definitely. Yeah, and so that's going to make your character very, very rich. It's interesting to hear you say that she has a motivation, but you're not going to reveal that until further down the track, because that's something that I really wanted to talk about. There's all sorts of stuff in this episode that I like, but to me it feels like a second episode yeah. rather than the pilot. It feels like we need to set up some kind of goal which you've already mentioned, for the protagonist. Because when I'm reading this, I'm coming into the first episode as it stands. I don't even understand what it is she wants, let alone why, you know, she wants it. So I don't know what's at stake. It feels to me like you really need to introduce Luna rather than just, you know, we see her and she's battling and she's doing this and she's doing that. It feels like you need to introduce Luna and also Ike and Gertie because I felt a little bit lost. Sure. And I just felt I needed to be anchored a little bit what do you what do you think about does that make sense to you absolutely yeah and that's that's part of the reason why i want to do this as a later episode as opposed to the to the pilot i do want to have something in the title sequence that kind of outlines why they're there um, very loosely of course like gilligan's island yeah yeah and uh that way at least people go into it having a bit of an idea and obviously if i have in the first the first episode luna and ike talk more about the labyrinth and the center of the labyrinth and everything that's at stake for them if they make it there Okay, so you're saying that this what we've just read would not now be the pilot. Yeah, I okay. only so, came up with that a few weeks ago. Okay, so. so for the pilot, do you have an idea of what the story would actually be? Kind of. Obviously, want it to revolve around them helping people because that's a big thing that I want to include in in the series. Is that Luna's incredibly helpful, and even if it means missing out potentially on getting somewhere she needs to be, she'll stop to help someone. Mm. So the the first episode opens literally with them at a crossroads with one one of the tunnels that says um, this way to the centre of the labyrinth, but they're not sure whether or not it's a trap. They hear someone scream down one of the other tunnels. They rush off to help them. Mm. The wall closes behind them, leaving them, you know, not able to get back to that that crossroads. So, so look, maybe it might be helpful. Let's stick with the episode that you've presented us sure. with. And then if we've got time, we'll come back and look at what the pilot could well, potentially be. Well, it's interesting because I had a similar th- feeling in that it felt like it was more like episode two or episode three and and i and i thought yeah i had very kind of some feelings about the pilot that i thought that we needed to see luna's life outside of the labyrinth and you know and to begin with like the reason why she needs the one wish you know like what what is it that happens in her in her village or in her life you know the that what is it that that leaves her absolutely no choice but to have to go to like you know this forbidden labyrinth mm. you know like not like people are not allowed to go there maybe you know maybe no one's ever come back from there you know but it's it's i sort of feel like it's a place that you know that it's absolutely forbidden but something happens in her life that she is forced no other choice than to have to go in there because it's it's her mission and i thought you know possibly if the reason, whatever that reason is, if we make that reason her fault. Mm, so whatever right. it was that, that happened is her fault. Yep. So then she has no choice then to have to go into that labyrinth, find that one wish to undo, you know, whatever the thing that she was responsible for. And I know if you felt you didn't want to reveal kind of that at the start, you could always not reveal that it was her fault until later on. Yeah. You know, so this whatever this event that happens, you know, she she is to blame. That is, but 
I still think it's stronger to set that up at the beginning. Sure. Yeah. So yep. people can actually see that and then they're on board with that from the start. And then it's like, oh, because then you've, you're kind of creating some sympathy around her and some empathy from the audience and they want to see her succeed. And so it becomes a journey of redemption. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of that? I, I do like that idea a bit. Yeah. Whether or not, I don't know how I could incorporate that early on while still keeping it sort of mysterious. Because there's a few there's a few things that I want to be mysteries throughout the, the course of the show a couple of reveals at the end of each season and things like that and that was going to be the big one for the end of season one but if it helps to set it up better then that might be a really good way to, to do that and still reveal something like maybe she ran away when her grandfather was on her deathbed or yep. on his deathbed rather or something along those lines which yeah. could be revealed later, yeah. which is, yeah. That's I like the idea of revealing things. I really like that idea of revealing things as you go along. But I think there's a bare minimum that you do need to provide at the beginning for the audience just so they know where they are, who yep. they're dealing with, what they're looking at. Yeah, what the world is like. Uh, yeah. Is like is, is, is there magic involved in this world? Within and the labyrinth, then, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and, and that, is there magic outside the labyrinth or is it only inside? So I think, you know, by setting her up in the in her normal world first, and that's where we see her, and then you're setting kind of the parameters of that world, and then it becomes a very different world where all the rules that she grew up with and all everything that she knew to be true yep. is now suddenly, you know, turned on its head inside the labyrinth. So everything that she came to depend on out there is suddenly, you know, she's she doesn't really know how to navigate her way through there. Yeah. And I feel like that's where she met Ike. Yeah, Did that's she right. Meet yeah. Ike in the labyrinth. Definitely, yes. Yeah. So see, the tricky thing is, the, as you know, the pilot is the hardest episode to write because you've got so much that you have to set up, and the issue, the problem that you are faced with is that this whole series is about being in a labyrinth, except for potentially the first episode, the pilot, because that's about not being in the labyrinth and. Um, something goes wrong, she's at fault for some reason and she sets off on her journey. So you don't want to end up with a series which is 12 episodes of one thing and one episode of something else. Yep. So how do you get into the labyrinth quickly? It could be that we begin in the labyrinth and she's having flashbacks. Yeah, um, that was something I did want to do. I wanted to incorporate flashbacks as later episodes. Right. But, uh, you know, you're, you're both right. It would make a lot more sense to, to layer it a little bit more at the beginning there. What if, for example, it opened with Luna at, at the opening to the labyrinth and tossing and turning whether or not she goes in and when she does she meets Ike you don't know why she's there but you know that it's important that she has to go in there and try and find that one wish okay and what about if Ike doesn't know so Ike is on our journey with the audience Ike doesn't know what it is that you know why Luna is on this journey because she's yes. holding back and she's not explaining and because it's so personal and painful and she doesn't want to talk about it yep. and as they go Ike starts to sort of you know, gain a little bit of trust and become a friend and she starts to reveal these things to Ike and to the audience. Yeah, and that was exactly how I wanted to do it over the course of, okay. of the first season and then with the end of the, the first season finding out that the grandfather's died and mm. Luna feels like... Okay, know. so Luna is the protagonist but Ike is actually the character that we align ourselves with. In, in a way, yeah, definitely. Because I think he's the most relatable character and because he's kind of fun and silly and... I've got a few things that I want to do with, with Ike's character later on as well. Okay. The ruler of the labyrinth, who I call the Wraith King, who is sort of like half ghost, half skeleton, evil dude, he gets his power from all the people that get stuck in the labyrinth. So when Luna and Ike free people from the labyrinth, he loses he power. He loses power. Right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, and then I wanted to have a twist where 
he wasn't always corrupt and it turns out that he's actually Ike's dad. Oh. And, uh, you know, at the end okay. of the series, when Luna finally makes it to the centre, she realises that it's okay to say goodbye to her grandfather and rather than wishing for her grandfather to come back, she wishes, wishes for the Wraith King to be normal and uncorrupt so that Ike gets his dad back. Ah. And so essentially, so she gives up she makes that she gives up the yeah. thing that she's after exactly yeah, yeah. because that's, she realizes that it's okay to give it up mm. yeah nice yeah that's a good twist i like that so that gives me goosebumps <laughs> anything gives you goosebumps i think that's a good indication <laughs> it's good to know <laughs> moving on i wanted to ask you about the relationship between luna and the skelly torches because it is quite brutal. Sure. Again, it wasn't clear why she was like that and why she was behaving this way and why the skelly torches were kind of putting up with that sort of behaviour. So what is the relationship between those characters and why does she feel entitled to treat them like that? So the skelly torches, they're not just like one that keeps coming back. There are a whole bunch of different ones. They're all different colours. One of the big things that I wanted to do with this series was colour in relation to emotion. So like there'll be blue skelly torches that are miserable... The red skelly torches are obviously really angry mm. and the orange skelly torches are just, you know, pretty normal. They can swing either way. But essentially, they're pricks. So oh, okay. <laughs> throughout the course of it, Luna always has conflicts with them. Sometimes they're nice, sometimes they're, they're terrible, but essentially they're just a source of light. You know, there's like, they're like torches, basically. Mm. Um, so they're, they're all stuck onto the walls and their purpose is to light the way for everyone that goes through the labyrinth and keep everything lit up. Right. But yeah, they're pricks. So they like okay. to, you know, make smart-ass comments to people and have goes at everyone that walks past and just, yeah, be jerks, basically. Okay. So, Are they indestructible? Yeah. Okay. Definitely, yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. yeah. Are they trustworthy? No, not at all. And most of the skeletons, one of the big things I want to do with the skeletons in general is that they're all just kind of jerks. They're not, you know, nice guys or anything like that. So there'll be a bunch of different skeletons I'll encounter throughout the course of it, the friendliest being the bones. Mm. Okay. But even then, he's a pain in the neck. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's talk about um, Le Bones a little bit. Now, when he he mentions this treasure and he produces and he produces the treasure map, although I I didn't really know who Luna was at that point, it still struck me that this is something that she should be excited about. So it feels that you know, at this as written, she's doing him a favor by searching for the treasure. Yep. Whereas I thought it, I thought that was a little odd because it felt to me like she should be like, "Oh, treasure? Really? A yeah. treasure map? Maybe I can help you with there because I've got uh, this thing and I can help." Rather than having the bones talking her into coming along, it felt like she should be the one saying, you know, negotiating, you know, maybe I can help you here and you know because you don't have muscles and I do and does that does that make sense it does um and I probably should have been a little bit more clear in the writing because that struck me too Luna's main goal is getting to the center yep she doesn't care about treasure she doesn't care about any of that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. unless it's helping someone along the way and even then she's only helping him out of obligation more so than anything else right which I obviously need to make a little bit clearer in the script so yeah so So if she if she was a monk if she was a monk character, then that would make perfect sense to me. But I didn't feel she was a monk character. So, yeah, maybe just because I, yeah, I don't... At that point, I don't understand who the character is. Sure. So that's why it felt a bit weird. I guess she wants to come... She likes to help people and stuff, but she's 
she's going into the labyrinth for a very selfish reason. Yeah. For herself. That's a bit of a, a, a conflict, I think, that, yeah, that either she's in there for herself to get something or she's helping someone. So uh, I think that's a, that's a bit kind of... A, okay. Un- unsure for me in terms of her character sure that said with Le Bones and other characters I was thinking because you know when you've got a, an ongoing series you're looking at what's the story engine so what's going to drive episode after episode after episode and so I was thinking well if Luna's goal is to get to the center of this labyrinth which is something that presumably no one's ever done yep. to get to that then um, then perhaps the characters that she meets along the way there uh, are either there to either help or hinder her progress but in order to get their guidance there's always a test that she must endure or you know a trapped item that she has to recover or you know some kind of dilemma to reconcile for herself and that particular character sure that way she's forced to help that character so that's still the helping thing but it's Mm. still got her selfishness as her main motivator. Yep. So she's always forced to have to help these characters overcome whatever obstacle in order for them to then point the direction of where, you know, so now this is the right path to go. This is, and that's all she needs to do. So whether it's, you know, something, some something's trapped in something and, you know, like with LeBones, for instance, with this treasure, there's some reason he can't get the treasure because he's been in here a long time. So why hasn't he already got it, right? So maybe there's something in there that he can't get it himself and so he needs someone else to have to get that for him. Sure. And so when, you know, Luna's forced to retrieve this thing for him, then he can give her the, you know, the next instructions of which way to go. And so and I thought that could be a possible story engine that drives each episode, each episode. So the new characters that she meets, there's a new obstacle. Mm that they're giving her that she has to then overcome for them yep. in order for her to keep moving through the labyrinth. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's really good. I like that too. I kind of had it in, in the engine as being she helps someone every episode, but not that really there was any way it drove her necessarily forward. But that could be a really good way to do it. And, you know, everyone could give her deferring directions and things like that so she still remains lost yeah that's right way. someone yeah, yeah. someone yeah. will give her the wrong direction yeah. sometime and whatever because it all depends on that character but look just on that helping thing we we mentioned earlier about how it's important to make sure that your protagonist in particular has some kind of inner contradiction and we know that she makes that self-sacrifice at the end of the um, season so if she if that is selflessness that she ends up at it's always good to make sure that she's behaving in a more selfish manner yeah, at sure. the beginning of the journey. Yep. So she can help people all along the way, but can that be, at the beginning of the journey, can her dominant trait be that selfishness kind yeah. of side of her? And then, you know, back and forth, back and forth across the season until we get to the end when she makes that ultimate selfless sacrifice. That way she's forced to help people in the in the beginning, whereas at the end she's actually it's choosing choice. to help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was one thing that I was I was thinking of, and I think that would make a really really interesting journey for your Definitely, character. Yeah. It also occurred to me while you were speaking, you know, if this treasure is so important to the bones, I'm wondering if maybe he doesn't reveal that it's treasure because he's worried that you know this stranger is going to steal it, so he needs this person's help, but doesn't reveal why he needs the help. I don't know if that's helpful or not. There's a big reveal at the end where the treasure is just clothes, 
Ah, right. Okay. All <laughs> you know, right. So that's nice. In that case, you want to say there's this treasure. Yeah, and exactly. Then, yeah, this is the treasure to him. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. That's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's he's kind of a character who, whenever he comes back, he'll be wearing something completely different each time. Mm. Like, the the whole... I'm not Mr. Rumbler Bones thing is sort of a really loose way of, I guess, including gender neutrality mm-hmm. within that character okay. because he's, the character's a skeleton. So I, I I mean, more often than not, refer to him as he, but, you know, it wouldn't be uncommon for LeBones to rock up in a dress or any of that sort of stuff. How long is LeBones in the season? He'll pop up every now and again. He'll sort of be a recurring character that, that turns up and annoys them and they have to help or something along those lines, yeah. Mm. I wanted, also wanted to know a little bit more about Ike and, like, the the relationship between Ike and Luna. What purpose does Ike serve for Luna? Like, is he a, he a reflection of her or of her emotions or whatever? Like, what's... He's... So the way I've, I've written Ike in the Bible is that he's a, a 300-year-old ghost of an 8-year-old. But because he's a ghost and because he's been around so long, he's actually more like an old man and a kid rolled up into one package. So he's kind of reflective of Luna's grandfather in a lot of ways, which is why when Luna goes into the the snake's tunnel, Ike's waiting out the front in the armchair with the robe on, reading the newspaper, stuff like that, Mm. and wasting show tunes. Yeah, I thought that was a nice image, yeah. All those kinds of things, yeah. So he's sort of an old guy, old soul in a young body, really. Mm. Yeah. You can have a lot of fun with that. Definitely, yeah, definitely. I guess what I want to get to is why does he go on this journey with her? I haven't really thought that far ahead in terms of it because I was going to do a flashback episode showing Luna and Ike meeting but more to the point I think he believes that she can make it to the centre and uh, he wants to help her and he likes to help everyone so he's kind of similar to Luna so I guess in a way I could make it that Ike's the one who insists on helping Luna might be the one that protests is it a little bit like the Wizard of like the Wizard of Oz in that once everybody gets to the centre like they all get something that they need not really. I mean, I it's like, Luna's wish is, is essentially what happens at the end. So it's, you know, one group of people, they get one wish as a group. But is, there, um, is there a payoff for Ike? Yeah, so have to get his dad, there? obviously being the ruler of the labyrinth, and Luna wishing for his dad to be good again is the payoff for Ike and the payoff for Luna all in, all in one sort oh, of that's right, package, yeah. His dad is the... There was a particular moment in this where... The bones get scared. I think it might have been with the snake yeah. going into the snake tunnel. I think the snake tunnel was only mentioned once previously. And yes. by the time we got there, I'd forgotten. Right. So it felt to me like there was a moment there where we needed to set up more in the script that this was a scary thing. So it made sense that the bones was frightened. So that's just a small technical thing. Sure. But it's a little bit indicative, I guess, of the broader issue that you, you've got where... In, in that you've got stuff happening that hasn't been set up. It's almost like we're just going to pay off without setup. Gotcha. Okay. So that I mean that's a really easy fix. Like yep. that particular instance, you could do it with a sign or like literally like a sign on a stick or, yep. or something. But yeah, I think that's just something to keep an eye on. I think also it's important to have setbacks. You don't want them to have like have them face a challenge and you know and them just overcome it and then that's the end of it you kind of feel like they have one shot at trying to overcome it and then it backfires. Yep. And so then they start she starts doubting herself and whatever and then maybe it's then it's Ike's purpose to then pump her back up again and 
and then uh, and then they give it a second try and then you know the second try is when they overcome it eventually or whatever you know don't want to make it too easy for her to achieve these obstacles and stuff in order for it to really pay off down the end and I think from episode to episode you know as long as you've got those little areas that you're setting up whether it's Lavones, you know the snake tunnel or whatever you know like maybe you know they they don't get there because of whatever reason you know but then eventually they do you know but like i feel like you need to put some more obstacles in there sure. for, for those challenges that that's gonna that's gonna be a setback for the character so then it just makes it once they start doubting themselves that they can actually do it then i think yeah it's probably that's going to make it a stronger result when they actually do overcome it the way i sort of envisioned it was that the bones is the obstacle like every time they come across one of the the things that he says something happens with him that causes the problem so like for example he falls in the water and luna has to rescue him he won't go into the tunnel after they come out of the tunnel Lebone sits down and goes i'm not i'm not moving anymore you have to carry me and uh, luna basically says nah that's it i'm out and leaves and leaves him and ike together there's another character who comes in later called bony joe who he's like the like the janitor of the labyrinth he's you know big orange boiler suit pushes a broom around cleans up mess usually after luna and ike right but he's also like a real sage character kind of gives luna advice right so luna sees him and talks about how she got really angry and lost her temper and stormed off and he tells her that it's okay and that the reason why ike's not siding with her isn't because he's not on her side but it's because he's he understands more he's older you know he's lived through a lot more things than luna has and knows that when you need to do the right thing sometimes if you're helping someone and paying someone back for something you did sometimes you have to put up with a little bit to do that right you know sure yeah okay did you have any questions in particular that you wanted to what did you guys think of the humor of the piece was it something that you thought was funny and you could visualize pretty easily on on screen uh yes um absolutely like when i like as soon as like the adventure time thing clicked for me then i was there's a particular kind of attitude that I was sort of reading into it. Yep. Well, maybe not just reading into it, maybe it's there. For me, I was visualising that kind of style, uh, that kind of um, animation style and those kinds of voices. So that's where I was coming from with the reading and that worked sure. for me. Fantastic. What did you think? Yeah, um, I, like the, I like the tone of it. I like the visual element. Like I really love LeBone's arm popping off when they're trying to rescue him. Like those kind of little things, like they were, they were funny. And it also puts the character into peril, more peril and stuff. So I kind of like that, those areas. The only thing I would just say is I, I just don't feel like I got a sense of Ike yep. at all. That's like, true. Yeah. Ike gotcha. just seems yep. like a very ordinary, generic kind of character at the moment. Like, you know, Luna's very clear. Yep. You know, Lebones is very clear, but uh, even even the um, the Skeletor yeah. yeah. even they're very clear. The only sure. one I wasn't clear about was yep. was Ike, like his personality or you know anything. It just it just seemed very kind of generic at gotcha. the moment. Yep. That's, a, that's a really good point actually. And if that's going to be the character that the audience aligns themselves with, then I think it's really important to put a bit of work into that character. Gotcha. And make sure that that character has some kind of contradiction and you know has particular traits you know strengths weaknesses and all that kind of stuff so yeah that's certainly a bit of homework that you can definitely do. yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Like his, his attitude because all those other characters have got really great yeah. distinctive attitudes but another thing that i really enjoyed was as you know when you're writing animation you need to make sure that you're thinking visually and you're creating action and images for the animators and you've 
put some effort into that. That's that's there, you know, with the bones and the river and all that hitting the torches. So that's, you know, as long as you keep doing that, yep. then I think it'll be great. It's really good to know. You guys are giving some excellent feedback and some real food for thought to go back on and yeah, look at how you. the episode is. So it's, it's good. Excellent. All right. Well, excellent. look, as a, look, we are nearly out of time. So please thank our guest writer, Bucky Andrews, and good luck with the rewrites. As always, everything discussed today in 10 pages remains your own intellectual property and you reserve the right to use as much or as little of it as you like. And to any writers, producers, directors or investors who are listening to this podcast who may be interested in collaborating with Bucky, how can they reach you? Uh, my email address is buckyandrews8 at gmail.com. That's the easiest way to get on. I don't have a website or anything like that set up yet. I'm not quite that fancy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Beautiful. So our listeners out there, if you have a project that needs development, email your logline, a brief synopsis, and your first 10 pages to 10 pages. That's the number 10, not the word. 10pagespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening and uh, keep on writing. (laughs) 